0: Space is just that, right? We always risk it. We go for it, right? Let's get off easy. It's like, why would you do that? It's this explosive, you know, this rocket full of explosive that we're putting in. It's like, well, we want to go to space. Yeah, we're.
1: Here we go. We're going to start. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new experiment we're calling Consider the Cosmos. My name is Ryan Chalinski.
2: And I am Mary Liz Bender. We're here on the Space Coast just a couple of miles away from the launch pads of Cape Canaveral, Florida. We're on the ground documenting this new space era, and we're going to give you a unique view of what's happening here.
1: You're here with us today on the ground floor, and we want you to be part of the conversation. So share your comments and ideas at our website, CosmicPerspective.com forward slash podcast, or send us a tweet at ConsiderCosmos. If you enjoy the conversation, consider Five Stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our email list, or support us on Patreon.
2: In this episode, we're really thrilled to share some really wonderful conversations we had with leading scientists from the European Space Agency and NASA, who both worked in strong collaboration on the Solar Orbiter mission.
1: On Sunday, February 9th, we watched the Solar Orbiter spacecraft take to the sky on a United Launch Alliance Atlas V rocket.
2: And it was an absolutely stunning display.
1: Thousands of people came from all over Europe to watch this launch with us.
2: Five, four, three, two, one,
1: zero. And liftoff of our Solar Orbiter and international collaboration to give us new images and a better understanding
2: of our life-giving star.
1: Solar Orbiter is now on its way to give us the first ever view of the sun at its poles.
2: So we've never imaged the poles of the sun, and we've never acquired detailed magnetic field observations of the poles directly. And the sun's magnetic activity drives space weather, so these observations are going to be a total Game changer for predicting solar activity. And this kind of activity can have a profound impact on our astronauts, our spacecraft, and our Earth based technology.
1: Part of our launch coverage involves placing cameras at the launch pad. So that was Sunday morning. And then a little bit later in the day, we headed to a press event hosted by the European Space Agency.
2: I love talking to the humans that make these missions possible. So I was very honored to talk to Gunther Hossinger, the Director of Science at the European Space Agency. This is really exciting. I think I just saw on Twitter a report that we are 95% go.
3: Yes. uh, I I think uh, what we have heard now is the spacecraft is powered up. That means that the launch sequence is already rolling. Uh, I think there is one last thing that has to be done. Balloons uh, have to be launched uh, to the atmosphere to measure the winds and the pressure and so on. Um, But it all looks good. There's almost no cloud on the sky, so we are really good to go.
2: And I feel like I can feel the excitement. Everybody seems really happy. Are you super excited for tonight?
3: Yes, I mean when you see, when you see the energy, this, this is around here with uh, thousands of people I mean coming for the launch but also the teams working here, uh, hundreds in the launcher business and about uh, another hundred or so from the spacecraft and they, some of them have worked for more than 10 years on that mission and uh, the campaign was three months and now it's all coming to a culmination. You really feel the, the energy in the air.
2: I I really do I was saying it yesterday I talked to Nikki Fox who I've talked to before I love Nikki Um, but in the room in the NASA press briefing room which can kind of get dry sometimes it was really exciting when the scientists came inside
3: yes yes indeed I think we had also very nice briefing there where the um, it, it was not just for the press it was also for ourselves we were looking at things from different perspective and I had the feeling it was almost like a tennis uh, match where the balls were flying back and forward.
2: (laughs) So, is it often that you all are able to get together in one room or is it extremely rare and was this kind of like a reunion?
3: Uh, So, you know, this is an an international partnership mission and uh, the partnership between NASA and ESA is extremely important. We have regular tag-ups, regular meetings where either um, Thomas zu with his team comes to Europe or I come with my team uh, to the U.S., so that is happening regularly. We also sometimes meet uh, in international congresses and things like that. Uh, But the launch event is something really very special.
2: Well, I guess, I mean, for many of you it's a very busy time, but perhaps for you tonight... When you're standing there viewing this launch together, I'm guessing this is a really rare moment where you get to relax and just kind of rejoice in what you've done together.
3: And this is a very strong bonding for us too, right? You are really getting to know people. You know the most exciting moment that I have always found, I haven't been at many launches, but I have been here at Cape Canaveral at at one uh, quite a long time ago, You get the fireball, yes, uh, but then at some point the sound is coming and it is not really a sound. The whole atmosphere is shaking, so you feel it in your chest, you feel it in your heart and that that is for me the moment when I really realize uh, throughout my whole body that the thing is up there now.
2: So I have been chasing rocket launches since the first I saw two years ago only. And I've got microphones out on the pad, I'm desperately trying to capture that but you can't capture that no. feeling, you have to be there, don't you?
3: I think you, it's a little bit similar to, I mean, when you talk to somebody on the video screen, that's fine, but you have to be close to a person to really feel the sense, the aura, you smell it, uh, and in this particular case, you really feel the atmosphere shaking. That is not, nothing that you can ever ban on video.
2: <laughs> what are you most excited about for this mission?
3: So, for Solar Orbiter, I think it is almost a Christmas tree with um, the 10 instruments hanging there like uh, glittering uh, <laughs> ornaments. Uh, I, I see it also a little bit like um, an orchestra, right? You have an orchestra where every instrument has its own tune, but together they play the music. And that is something which is unique about Solar Orbiter that we can both look and feel and smell um, the surrounding and we get a com- comprehensive picture. But I also would like to say that we are very happy to cooperate with Parker Solar Probe, which is coming even closer to the sun, but doesn't have eyes to see, only a sensing, feeling. And then also the big new ground-based telescope in Hawaii, Daniel K. noa Solar Telescope, uh, that has just opened its eyes. And the three together, they are really basically complementing the orchestra.
2: I, I love the way you say that. I'm a musician, so when you said <laughs> that in the press briefing the other day, I thought, is he a musician? Because that's a really I am beautiful. A musician,
3: yes. <laughs> what are <do> you playing? <laughs> I was actually when I was young, uh, coming out of school, I was playing in a rock band. Um, I was playing bass guitar and flute, traversal flute, and we even have a rock. We even have a record, uh, not a rocket, but a record. Uh,
2: what is the name of your band?
3: The, the name of the band is called Saffron. S A F. R-A-N. It is nice music that you can actually still find on the internet. (laughs) So naturally.
2: Naturally, we have to look for his music on the (laughs) internet, (laughs) and I was blown away. (laughs)
3: Now coming back to Solar Orbiter, I believe this this suit of instruments that can do 10 things at the same time, it's a multitasking um, genius, <laughs> uh, will tell us things that we have never even thought to ask. Uh, so the magnetic field of the Sun is really a very secret um, element. It's a kind of dark force that we don't yet understand. There are theories but these theories need measurements to really be proven and we can look at the Sun with angles and with uh, tools uh, that we had never before and so the Sun is also a star and then we can learn about other stars. I believe that it has the potential to become a similar powerful mission as uh, Gaia for instance. Yeah. Uh, and you know the humans are quite susceptible to images. Like for instance when When we saw the first picture of the black hole uh, shadow, that really clicked and this picture was viewed 4 billion times. So uh, every second human on Earth knows about that picture. We have done similarly exciting work with black holes before, like for instance the the, the elliptical stars, uh, the stars in elliptical orbits around our galactic center and all kinds of fascinating real basic physics that has recently been measured around the galactic center but it is just not catching the imagination of the people. And so the pictures that Solar Orbiter will produce from the sun will really be mind-boggling, I believe.
2: I, I am so excited about this <laughs> mission. I really am. So tell me, who are you going to be watching this launch with, and where will you be launch or watching from?
3: I, I will be on the Cape, uh, on on the base. Uh, I will be there with a group of VIPs. Uh, Thomas Zurbuchen will be there, and and, and some of my um, folks and his folks, Nikki uh, uh, Fox, and and so. We will all shout out for for Solar Orbiter and then I think at, when it's time we'll all go out on the balcony and we will see it from there, which is one of the most beautiful viewing spots because it's it's only about three miles from the uh, from the launch site. So, but a, a night launch as such is already so amazing because it, this, blend, this 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 uh, extremely bright light that all of a sudden appears. Uh, out of nothing.
2: <laughs> I was just talking to Nikki about the magic of night launches, yeah, yeah. and I always explain it like this. It's like watching the sun rise in yes. the middle of the night.
3: Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's getting so bright, but it's rising faster than the sun.
2: <laughs> Way too fast. It's like, it's kind of like seeing a total solar eclipse,
3: yes. almost. Yes, indeed. No, no, indeed. That's uh, And together with the sound, I think, as we ta- talked yes. before together with the whole atmosphere shaking and this sound. This is fascinating. (laughs) Have have you watched from
2: that location before?
3: No, no. I I actually watched the Swift launch for about, uh, uh, Swift, uh, the NASA spacecraft, uh, 15 years ago. And I watched it from the beach. I think there are so many locations that are exciting to watch from here. It's it's really uh, very good.
2: This is such a special place. I always try to tell people how special it is yeah, here. I, I asked because since you love the sound so much, and as a musician you probably have the ear for it, the sound will reverberate off of the VAB. Oh, and you're going to get I a really see. interesting... like.
3: I've never heard that. Yeah, that would be... That would be beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you get a double echo in a sense. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> I have bad ears, so I don't hear it as well, but everybody picks up on it. I'm going to be on the press site, just down in front of you, probably, yes, yes, yes. with a huge telescope. We're going to be tracking the Very rocket. Long. So okay. if you see us That's down there, wave.
3: And I will actually come down to the press uh, office after the launch. Awesome. We will talk, and then we will also have a small reception uh, that is. Uh, we'll have a glass of champagne so let's uh,
2: <laughs> I would really love to like just for 30 seconds get your post-launch excited yes. statement
3: yeah I would be happy to do that yeah, okay. yeah. but Thank you, you know we either have to celebrate when the satellite is in healthy condition yes. so we will be our excitement will be measured until the solar panels are open, which is a little bit later than I think it's even after the official end of the um, of the transmission. <laughs> but we will still hang on and wait um, a little bit longer and then we do our final statement.
2: So that conversation with Gunther actually lasted at least 40 more minutes where we talked about everything from primordial black holes to Kip Thorne, Stephen Hawking, Mm microlensing. It was one of my favorite discussions I've ever had. So I'd like to release that in the future as another podcast episode Mm -hmm. by itself. (laughs) Meanwhile, let's talk about Dr. Thomas Zerbukin.
1: Dr. Thomas is the associate administrator for the science director at NASA. He's one of my favorite people. He's always full of such inspiration and he actually had a personal stake in this mission going back almost, almost 10 years. Um, his team also designed one of the instruments that's on the solar orbiter, and we caught up with him just a couple hours before launch.
0: So far, every single technical gate we've passed successfully. Uh, we're basically all green, and the weather, we're looking really good uh, as well. And, uh, and we'll see how it goes. I feel, as always, uh, kind of the, the right mix of uh, excitement because it's you know that's the, the the day you punch a hole into the sky you know and take something that is a earth-based investigation and then put it to its destiny, which is to be in space and and give us eyes that we've never seen before. At the same time, I'm also apprehensive, right? Because uh, I always have two speeches in my pocket, and and so so for me, of course, uh, my full expectation is this will go exactly the way we want it to. We did all the details that we every detail. No no stone is unturned. We're ready to go.
2: Now I know that you have a personal stake in this mission. Can you talk about the instrument that you had something to do with?
0: Yeah, I was there at the very beginning. It's really unusual. There's the only mission in the entire portfolio with the 100 plus missions at NASA that I'm responsible for. Where I was there at the very beginning, I helped design the entire mission concept and one sensor that I actually proposed and one. And guess what? You know, two of my former PhD students are responsible for it now. And they're going to run the science. Uh, it's the heavy ion sensor. And it's really there to measure compositional patterns in the plasma that's floating by uh, solar orbiter. Of course, the excitement is to look at those data and then compare it with remote sensing measurements from the sun and really make sure that the connections that the models predict are in fact there. Yes, it's the same composition here as it is there. Because remember, all the UV stuff that we're seeing, we're seeing because iron emits or oxygen emits. So it's those trace gases we're measuring out there
2: so exciting because you know i get excited at every single rocket launch especially when i get to talk to the people that have had a hand in the mission but i can't imagine having such a stake in something and being so nervous and so excited as it lights up the night sky
0: yes it really is exciting and 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 part of space is just that right we always risk it we go for it right let's get off you say it's like why would you do that it's this explosive You know, this rocket full of explosives that we're putting there. It's like, well, we want to go to space. Yeah, we're we're explorers, right? And we have this solar explorer that's out there ready to go for decades. Dreams and aspirations of thousands of people in there and the good work that many people did across uh, both sides of the Atlantic.
2: Yeah, that's that's something that I've really enjoyed during these particular briefings, is the international collaboration. There's just a united spirit that I don't see super often, and it's been really uplifting. And I, I'd love for you to talk about it. Like, How do you all work with the European Space Agency, their member states, and everybody at NASA to come up with these kinds of things?
0: We consider our European partners as the most trusted and most reliable partners that we've worked with for many, many uh, years and decades, in fact. Uh, I consider my counterparts in Europe as personal friends. We spend a lot of time together. They're on my speed dial. If there's something they need to know at my level, I will talk to them. Uh, You know, when we delayed the launch, uh, I let them know before the official thing came out, just to us like, look, this is what's happening. That's why it's good for your mission. Uh, for us to delay and uh, of course we don't like to ever delay but in this case it's the right thing to do But the reason we partner is because we make a better team than we could if we were by ourselves and I just really believe that's what happens when you put people who are different, organizations that are different together and say, let's do this one amazing thing. First of all, it's a little bit slower to get started because we all need to get to know each other, our cultural values, we need to know what we mean when we say something, kind of get to trust. Trust is not just given, it's it's, it's earned, right? So we have to earn that trust. But what we can do once we're there, we can do things that are just incredible. It's much better than anything we can do by ourselves. That's why we do it.
2: Yes, absolutely. And um, it's not just the people in this mission, but it's also all the other missions that are collaborating with this mission, like the Parker Solo probe, uh the Voyager spacecraft, that are giving us this holistic view. So I guess you would say it's even more vast than just this mission.
0: Yeah, the way I think about it is that the science community is really one community. And we don't really look at where people come from. It's kind of any idea counts, any question is okay. And uh, we struggle through it to learn more. And yes, as we look at all these missions, looking at the sun and its environment together, it's a very vast uh, collection of individuals and passions and and excitements from many different countries, including Japan, including Korea including, uh, of course, the Europeans and many others, uh, the Russians, uh, uh, you know, Indians and so forth and so forth, that come together and do this, you know, are part of this very exciting uh, exploration experiment that we're part of together. Exploration is something we do together and exploration is all about hope. If we felt that we're down here and that is the end of it, we would not explore. Exploration is to to reach beyond that and anticipating things that that we sometimes don't even know why it's gonna be important you know the first people who started pushing data back and forth the first people who uh, on the on what is now the internet the first people who imaged the earth did not predict that it would save thousands and tens of thousands of people because they because of the weather forecasts that are reliable as a result of this very valuable information that we're sending down from our our space assets so we don't know yet What the most important benefits are for solar orbiter but we've learned from history that there will always as in always be benefits that by far exceed the investment we make
2: you've been talking a lot about how this is going to impact our knowledge for our astronauts as we move further out to the moon to mars what do you see as the future of exploration what would you like to see during your time
0: the most important part of human exploration is the same as science exploration, which is to be ambitious explorers. Uh, it's good that we have stayed in the space station. We learned how to work together as an international community in the space station. We should be proud of it. That's truly historic achievement. Uh, But we're explorers. We need to go beyond that. And so for us, going forward to the moon, uh, uh, both with a gateway but also the surface, with not alone as an organization. We're not trying to redo Apollo, not interested in that. We're doing it as part of a community that we help build is a totally different story today and that story will not only go to the moon it will go beyond it will go to mars and so for us it's really about pushing the envelope it's about transcending what's possible and kind of inventing what's new and and for me that that is the same kind of paradigms that drive uh human exploration as as the scientific exploration it's going to be very useful And I can't tell you exactly what the most useful thing will be, because almost certainly it has not been found yet.
2: Wow. This is why he's your favorite person.
0: It
1: is.
2: (laughs) Jeez. You don't hear people talk like this.
1: He's my favorite person.
2: He's really good. It's so inspiring. I'm so glad that he is leading the science (laughs) directorate at NASA. It's amazing. Talking about unifying and and transcending what's possible because that's that's what this is actually all about
1: mm-hmm. he has a beautiful ability to convey such a sense of meaning behind what we're doing and it's it's always so clear and so inspiring
2: Wait, what he said about the artemis program that they're not interested in redoing apollo right. i have never heard anyone say that right it really hit me in the chest
1: it's it's so much bigger it's so much broader it's it's a new generation
2: So, I got to talk to someone else that has a personal stake in this mission. Nikki Fox is the director of heliophysics at NASA. And we've actually talked before. During the launch of the Parker Solar Probe in 2018,
4: I was extremely excited the last time we talked because I just watched the Delta IV Heavy lift off the pad. And I was in a very, ex- I think you actually introduced me as a very excited Nikki Fox. And I was indeed, uh, I was over the sun with excitement with the Parker Solar Probe launch and equally as excited now to see Solar Orbiter go on Sunday. I describe myself as a launch junkie. Um, I, this is the most exciting thing for me. Um, I think I got the bug of. Uh, very early I worked on the, the Van Allen probes, and I, I was very blessed to work with the team very closely and uh, see all that last-minute preparation. Uh, obviously with Parker, I was down here for the last six weeks working with the team, and so I know what they're going through. So even though I haven't had the opportunity to to be in the clean room with Solar Orbiter, I know the excitement that this team is feeling. And so, yes, uh, we cannot wait to see that, that rocket lift off the pad. It's quite nice, actually, when you see one that you aren't intimately involved in, and you can just really, really enjoy the launch and enjoy the spectacle. But, uh, but uh, I think, you know, we're all sort of heart in your, in your mouth as you're watching that, that liftoff, but it's, there's nothing better, nothing better, and a nighttime launch is particularly spectacular.
2: Yes, I always say that watching a night launch is like watching a
4: sunrise in the middle of the night. It really is, and and you know you see the spectacle of it, then you f- you hear and then you feel the pressure. Man, the sight of that thing going uh, during the night is just amazing.
2: Can you tell me about your involvement with this particular mission? I know you answered a lot of questions today about Parker Solar Probe. Really great data coming
4: back from that right now. Well, so I started working with Solar Orbiter a number of years ago when I was still a Parker Solar Probe project scientist, and I worked very very closely with Daniel M- Mueller, and we we really wanted to collaborate and we we wanted to get these missions working together because they are so much better as a team. And so I've had a long involvement with the Solar Orbiter team, but since I moved down to NASA headquarters, I'm sort of in charge of making sure that everything is perfect for launch on Sunday. And so I've worked extremely closely with our counterparts at ESA, with our folks here at NASA's Launch Service Program, with ULA, and just making sure everything is ready to go. NASA has a couple of instruments that are, are flying on Solar Orbiter, and, but it's, it's more than just those instruments, it's really that, that team of 10 instruments working together. And so uh, the team here, um, all of the different the stakeholders, all of the partners, just all pulling in the same direction for launch on Sunday. We can't wait for it, but everything needs to be perfect. And so, you know, we wait a long time. We put years and years into these missions. Um, you know, Daniel said he's working on this missions for 13 years. Parker Solar Probe, I'd worked on it for eight when it launched. You know, I mean, there's, you've, you've put a lot of work into it. And it's not like we have another mission just sitting there that if something goes wrong here, we can launch it. This is our one shot at doing this. And so, yes, we're all nervous, but it's really just pure excitement. We can't wait to see Solar Orbiter uh, join Parker Solar Probe. Uh, they're sister, sister missions. We've always thought of them like that, and we can't wait for them to get up there and start working together. But as always, it's a great time to be a heliophysicist.
1: It's Sunday night. We're all gathered at the NASA press site getting ready for liftoff.
4: And we were carrying a
2: very heavy telescope. Right.
1: Uh, so we want to get the closest view possible of liftoff. Mm-hmm. So we had the chance to bring a big telescope with us to the NASA press site. This is a mead LX-200 scope. Uh, we work with Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut, and OPT telescopes to set all this up. And uh, basically with the camera that we attach to the back, a 4K slow motion camera, the equivalent field of view is like having a 5,000 millimeter zoom lens. That's crazy. So it's super tight <laughs> on the rocket. Basically with the screens we bring out, so we have one screen attached to the, the camera on the telescope. And it gives us a really tight view. Basically we can just see the top of the rocket, so the payload fairing. And at liftoff, things move so quickly, mm-hmm. it's so difficult to track, um, we, we need a wider view. So we have a second camera attached to the top of the telescope that has its own screen. And we're basically looking at that wider view, back and forth between the tight view, wider view, uh, to have any, any chance of, of following this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a laptop out there with us that's interpreting the joystick commands. That was all programmed by Scott Ferguson at Astronomy Live. We have behind-the-scenes cameras recording what we're doing. There's a, a pocket 4K camera behind us focused in on the pad but with us in the view. So we have all this stuff that we – it takes a while to set up. But once we set it up, then we don't touch it because uh, <laughs> there's so much excitement as the countdown clock near zero that we just want to be ready to go. So that last moment, we hit record on everything and then Wait. So as, as with any launch, we're, we're also recording audio of the yeah. liftoff. Mm-hmm. So listen closely to this, this audio a few moments after liftoff. You're, you're going to begin to hear this higher pitched kind of echoey screeching noise. And what that is, is the rumble from the Atlas V and the sound is, is echoing and vibrating the panels on the vehicle assembly building, which is probably maybe half a mile away from us at that point. launch happened and a night launch is spectacularly beautiful it's dark we're counting down together and then all of a sudden there's this gradual sunrise in the horizon and then it becomes so bright it's almost brighter than the Sun can't look at it the sound everything is perfectly quiet for a few moments as the sound travels to reach us then all of a sudden we begin to feel the rumble as, as you heard so we were able to track it with a telescope. So we got some great engine footage, and I think one of the most spectacular things is seeing the uh, engines in the sky just before booster engine engine cutoff.
2: Yeah, that's a stunning display. Right,
1: it's it's sort of this nebula-like starburst pattern in the sky. It's it's bright, it's partially illuminated by the moon. We, we got to see a little bit of the uh, the exhaust trail. Um, and then just at the moment of, of uh, booster engine cutoff, there's this pause, it turns into a tiny star, and then there's one more burst of of nebula-like light.
2: It was so beautiful to see that on the screen because that's not something you can see very well with your own Mm -hmm. eyes, but to see it on our monitor, I was flipping out. You can see that footage on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Cosmic Perspective or on Twitter at Consider Cosmos. So we packed our stuff up, we headed back to the press site and ran into Dr. T. how are you
0: feeling? you You excited? I'm doing great.
2: For us, this was a moment of rejoicing, but sometimes we forget that the people that are involved with the mission, it's not over yet for them. There's this euphoric moment of anticipation as they wait to get the signal back from their spacecraft because they still don't know if everything is healthy, if it survived the trip. So it will be an hour before we hear back from the spacecraft that these solar arrays have deployed and everything checks out and looks healthy. The press site was especially festive because so many people traveled from Europe to be mm-hmm. here. Members of the European press were so excited to have seen that launch and to get the chance to talk to the leads of their agency. Right. It was really exciting for me to see. So I got to talk to Anne Pacros who is the payload manager of the Solar Orbiter spacecraft. And she really took us inside what it's like to work at the European Space Agency, especially at a managerial level of a big mission like this. Because she had to work with people from many different countries who spoke many different languages. And it was, it was really intriguing to hear how that all works. Not to mention, it was the first time that she got to see her own spacecraft launch launch to space.
5: very exciting because it's the first time for me that I'm attending a launch that is carrying a spacecraft I've worked on. So it's really, it makes things very concrete. Now I've seen the spacecraft like a meter away from me in the clean room and now it's out there. It's on its way to the sun. That makes a connection, you know? That's, I mean, no matter how many space movies you've seen, you know, you don't have that connection. So now I have this connection.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. We're really close to Disney World and everybody always tells me how magical it is and I'm like, you have
5: to go to the place where magic turns into reality. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely, because it's so far away, and now we've just seen the beginning of this long journey that will take years to get to the, to the first orbit, and then many orbits beyond that. So, yeah, it's just beyond, just beyond. So now you're waiting. You're not quite relieved yet. You're still waiting. Exactly, Because um, after the separation from the launcher, the launcher mission is finished. they the job is done. But the spacecraft has to deploy its solar arrays, it has to acquire power, it has to acquire the signal with the Earth. Without that, we, there's not much we can do. So we really wait for a few more minutes and we hope to have this connection. How long have you been working on this mission? So me, myself, I started about eight years ago, at the time when everything was just paper studies. You know, we were just finishing the preliminary design of the instruments. My responsibility is the, the So we were doing these reviews of the design and only then we started building some prototypes and then another you know another model and then finally the flight models which we integrated on the spacecraft a year and a half ago so I saw these different phases, and now it's like the conclusion of it all. So what will your role be once the data starts coming back? So actually, as a member of the project team, our job is basically ramping down from now on. We we do stay uh, involved until about June this year, because we're going to check out all the instruments. We do the commissioning. It's called commissioning because we try one by one the instruments, make sure everything is working as expected. When this is finished and successful, then we hand over to our operations colleagues who are going to take care of our baby for the rest of the mission. What a weird feeling. Like baby's going off to college. Exactly. Yeah, the baby's left the house.
2: Oh, man, that's yeah. crazy.
5: Exactly. This has gotta be a really emotional day for you. It is. So and was when I was talking about roller coaster of emotions earlier, it's really so so we're so happy that we've come to that point. At the same time it's the end of something. So there's a bit of sadness also. So what was it
2: like to be in the room with everybody? I think many people probably had never seen a rocket launch before, yeah, right?
5: exactly. So there were also non-technical people. There were people who were just here, and it was so nice to explain to them, look, this is this is why we do this, this is what the instruments do, and this is how we built it. So it was, yeah, I think very informative. Uh, for them also to be there. There's there's always an applied side of things um, and with uh, with Solar Orbiter and this connection between the observations and the institute measurements we hope to make better models to predict the so-called space weather. So a bit like we have predictions for weather on Earth, we hope to predict better these ejections that the Sun is doing, these solar flares and how they can affect us on Earth. But there's a second component to the mission like any science mission, you don't know what you're going to find and Understanding the Sun is also understanding a star. The Sun is a star, and by understanding it, we will know more about all the other stars in the universe. So there's a more fundamental aspect to it as well. What will you be working on next? Do you know yet? Yes, I'm going to uh, carry on working for the ESA science missions. We have very exciting missions coming up, and especially there will be a large mission called Athena. It's an X-ray mission that is a really huge telescope. So that's what I'm going to do next. And that'll be a spacecraft? It will be a a huge spacecraft, yes. It will be uh, the state of the art in terms of uh, X-ray observations. Wow, and so you are just probably so
2: excited to learn that your instruments, which I imagine you had to probably really
5: engineer something very new that never existed before on this spacecraft, right? Exactly, and having 10 instruments and they're all different, um, it was really a A whole lot of different technologies we had to think about and the instruments on on this mission are actually developed and designed in uh, in the member states of ESA so in the very many countries of ESA and so um, it was a lot of traveling around and um, not only making sure that the technology works, but also that the interfaces work. You have many components made in different places. You want to make sure when you put them together, everything works together. So there was a lot of that involved in uh, getting everything to work together.
2: I can't even imagine getting the US to understand the metric system, vice versa, exactly. but I know in the
5: science world, it's a bit different, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're lucky in Europe, We had, at least we use all the same systems, so that, was, that part was okay. Um, <laughs> But still, there are cultural differences, you know? We talk about technology, but a lot of the work we do in projects is also also with working with people of different cultures. And we try... Uh, English is not our mother tongue for many of us. So there can be misunderstandings. We have to be really careful, really check things twice, and, and make sure things are understood across the borders. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I used to live in Spain for three and a half years, so I was immersed in
2: another culture that wasn't my own, and I was... It was really hard for a while to yeah. even understand what yeah. someone was saying.
5: But, yeah, it just opening. takes time. It's such an opening, yes. then. You, uh, you get a different view of the world. Yeah. And uh, I guess the European Space Agency, with all its member states, has to, it's like it's like our daily life. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. thanks. Yeah. We'll uh, keep watching for another 20 minutes, I think. We're almost there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nikki and I had one last moment.
4: Nikki. Yes. Can I talk to you? Yes, you can. Awesome. How are you? I am very good, thank you, once again, over the sun. We've waited a long time for this mission, and so it was, there was a lot of relief, but there was a lot of excitement, and there's also, you know, it went at the very beginning of the window, and so there was none of that, you know, is it going to go, and I, I, you know, I walked out onto the balcony, and everybody was out there, and I said, we're going. It's We're going. I woke up this morning, and I was like, we're going to go, and, and sure enough, the, the flame went, so it was, it was very exciting. A lot of people, this was their first launch that they'd seen, and so... Um, It was very emotional and um, lots of cheering and a few tears. We hope there'll be a great toast um, at about an hour and a minute after launch uh, when they get the signal acquisition. So that means the spacecraft has lifted, has separated from the center and is under its own steam essentially and is called home. And as soon as they've got that, then then, uh, that's the big sigh of relief. It's funny because, you know, you see the launch and everybody cheers and it's all great. But um, those of us involved with the actual mission, we don't relax for a long time yet, you know, so it's, it's, there's still still a bit to go tonight, still a bit of excitement to go. Just to uh,
1: witness uh, the launch, uh, to also support it in many ways. And we also just heard an <laughs> eruption of applause. Take a look there. Uh, we, we, we see them applauding in the Mission Director Center. Uh, haven't heard what that's for yet, but again, we're assuming that's phase two of the solar array deployment. So there's several milestones that have to occur for that to, uh, to happen. I'm hearing now from Cesar that solar rays are confirmed deployed, and they are power positive. That's a good news. So uh, that's why they were celebrating. Daryl, yeah, very, right. very, very
3: good thing for the mission tonight. That's go right. solar orbiter. Mission success.
2: Mission success. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How do you feel?
3: Oh, I'm so relieved. I mean, the separation was already great, but now we know the solar panels are out, and we have a mission. We have seen the signal. The batteries are powering, so we are good to go.
2: Awesome. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. We were thinking about you out there.
3: Thank you very much. No, I'm really happy. And all the hundreds and thousands of scientists all around the world are even more happy than I am.
2: I'm sure. And there were about a thousand people here from ESA for the European Space Agency, right?
3: There were about a thousand Europeans here. The Space Agency people were maybe about a hundred. But all of a sudden, I mean, we saw this tension in the air. Now this tension is released, and now we have to really go to work because now... We have a mission. <laughs> well, congratulations. Hey, by
2: the way, I looked up your band. Oh, you did? Yeah. Is it? So it was... <laughs> this is a long-term mission. It is. In fact, it's originally planned to be a seven-year mission, but it sounds like they have engineered it so it could last even more than 10 years if right. everything goes according to plan. Mm-hmm. So... It's going to be a while before we get any data back. It is now on a long journey to the sun. It's eventually going to get as close as 42 million kilometers
1: to the
2: sun, which sounds really far, but it's actually within Mercury's orbit of Mm -hmm. the sun. So it's extremely close.
1: If you want to learn more about this mission and see the footage that we captured during liftoff and during the telescope tracking, uh, you can head to our website, cosmicperspective.com forward slash solar orbiter. We hope you enjoy this experiment. Mm -hmm. We are thrilled to be able to share what we feel is this unique view into what's happening here.
2: I I really feel like we live inside of an awe bubble and we're experiencing magic on a daily basis. And I know we've talked about this for way too long. It's it's time for us to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to grow this awe bubble and share this magic with the world. It is.
1: That's right. So we hope you've enjoyed this new thing. We have a lot of Interesting ideas on where to take this in the future. This is very flexible. And we'd really love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear your ideas and your comments. Cosmicperspective.com forward slash podcast.
2: Yeah, there you can submit your comments through text Or we'd love for you to upload a vocal submission because that's something that we'd like to incorporate in our future podcast episodes. So send us a note. Tell us what you think, what you'd like to hear, what you enjoyed. Again, cosmicperspective.com forward slash podcast and give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's going to really help us reach more people. Tease the algorithms. Yes. You can also support our documentation work and our outreach on Patreon.
1: Make sure you check out our YouTube channel. That's where we post a lot of liftoff footage from remote cameras that we place at the launch pads. 4K high-speed cameras. Really love what we can see.
2: YouTube.com forward slash cosmic perspective.
1: This has been a lot of fun.
2: It's been really fun. I want to do it again. Let's do it. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.